Okay, let's get started. Um, so glad that you have decided to begin this church history class. I hope that you will be here in November for our last session. Uh, a lot of you are going to be tempted, well, some of you, not a lot of you, will be tempted to, to, to drop out, but please let me encourage you to hang in there. Let's do as much as possible, treat this like a class, not a Bible study where it's okay to show up 15 minutes late. You guys are on time, so that's very helpful, but do try to make that a habit, being here on time, doing your assignments, all that type of thing. We'll um, <clears throat> talk about the requirements of the class in just a few minutes, but let's open tonight with a word of prayer. Our Father, we are so grateful for our brothers and sisters who have gone before us many years uh, past wrestling with your word, uh, preparing the way for us in many ways, paving quite a smooth road for us. But Lord, uh, we have much to learn and, and much to engage ourselves uh, as the road appears to be getting rocky again in our nation, in our time. So as we learn from those who have gone before us, encourage our hearts, strengthen our hearts, strengthen our faith uh, as we learn more and more about your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, where is Sean? Here's the man. I've asked you to sit up front. David, could you uh, maybe close those doors back there since you're back there? Well, most of the sessions in this class are going to be online. We'll be posting them online. Neil's going to go over the, the, the details of that in just a few minutes. Uh, but we <clears throat> will be having a panel discussion in most of the online classes. Neil and I are going to do most of the talking tonight, but David and Sean are going to help us as well. Uh, when I say that most of these classes are going to be online, then that's if, if you're a certain age, that's kind of daunting to you unless you happen to work in uh, computers. But uh, we've got guys here who will be able to help direct you and guide you uh, in those uh, areas that might be a question. In fact, we're going to talk about making sure that you're signed up on the city because that's through this. It's through the city that a lot of our our interaction is going to occur. Um, <clears throat> I want to, before we introduce the guys on the, the panel and just hear one quick word from them, I want to mention a word about Neil has done an amazing amount of work on this class. He's just put online a number of resources. We intentionally waited until just before the class began to get this, but you'll see the work that Neil has done. In fact, uh, he's done the kind of study that you would expect a professor to do in preparation for a class. So from this point on, we're going to call him Professor Manning. If, uh, Doctor will be fine. Uh, now, uh, now that's going too far. <laughs> so we're going to call him Neil. But I just want you to know that Neil has done an enormous amount of work. And probably, if you've got specific questions about dates, about individuals, uh, concepts even, uh, Neil is your first source. Go to him before you come to David and Sean and me even. Um, but let me just ask the, the, the three of you who are going to be participating, and we will have some uh, guest panelists. I'll be mentioning one in a few moments, but Neil, what in your study, you've done a, a great deal of work, what has captured your imagination about church history? Uh, I, I think part of it started when I hear a lot of quotes or references to people in, in church history, and I really got interested. I wanted to get back to the primary sources and figure out what these people were like, what situations did they live through, what did they actually say. And when I started getting into it, it, it just built up uh, a zeal in me, and I saw the benefit of studying what these people had done and what they had contributed to my own um, formation as a Christian, and I wanted to be able to get that out and share that with others because I know the benefit can be, can be shared uh, among the entire church. Well, Sean, what, what about this class interests you the most, this class that you're going to help lead? I, I think that what interests me the most is experiencing kind of again and, and through everyone here that 
just that joy that comes from seeing it all pieced together and being reminded of how God is sovereign over over all things and over the church and how he's just been so faithful in preserving truth and um, when you see that in action through history it's it's a very cool thing so yeah I don't know if you remember Scott uh, Colbreth in his treatment of Genesis 48 to 50 talked about God being sovereign over time we're going to see that a great deal in this class well David uh, what do you anticipate your contributions to be in this class well as you might anticipate uh, it's largely in the development of liturgy uh, and the way that worship is developed over time how we respond to the gospel how we respond to the scriptures um, and the way that that is Shifted as theology has been more and more clearly articulated over time. So I'm excited about um, participating in that way, sharing an insight into that. Uh, but also I've done some reading in, uh, in and around uh, the Cappadocian Fathers, uh, some of the things around the Council of Constantinople and mm-hmm. Council of Nicaea. So I'm looking forward to participating somewhat in that. And then also, if you guys have any questions about the technical aspects of being a part of the class um, connecting through the city, finding the things on Vimeo, uh, using the videos, uh, downloading them as we make them available, any of that stuff, I'll help make sure that that stuff happens uh, for you. Just out of curiosity, who knows who the Cappadocians are? Anybody know the three Cappadocians? All right, awesome. One, that's good. We will learn, and actually in about three weeks, who the Cappadocians were and their contribution to church history. Actually, I know Bert knows at least about one of those, um, if not all three. But the question, really, a, a, a more important question as we begin is, why are you here? What is it about church history that interests you? What? Let's do pass these mics around in case. Um, and we want this to be an interactive course. That's why we do some of it in person, some of it online. And this is your opportunity. We want to hear from you what... I mean, this question is for you. Why do you want to study church history other than Brad telling you to on Sunday morning? (laughs) Anybody? Why are you here? I mean, look, this is an amazing number of people for a class like this. So why are you here? Hi, everybody. Lee Wilford. Good to see you. Um, I think as a um, born and bred American, it is really easy to see Christianity as an American. (laughs) American religion. Um, it did not grow out of the plains of the Midwest. Um, it started thousands of years ago. Um, the church started 2,000 years ago. And understanding how it has developed and um, just seeing God's hand upon it through the generations um, broadens your horizons, your perspective. Um, and it just gives you a, a clearer way of seeing um, the I don't want to say religion because gosh that's I don't like that word but just the relationship that Christ has established with his people um, since he came years ago um, and it does it just broadening your horizons giving a better perspective that's what I hope to gain from and I've, I've done a little reading um, ahead of time and um, it is, it's, it's really interesting. Just to give you a different perspective, look through um, our faith through a different lens, and it does, it really opens your eyes. It will indeed broaden your understanding of who is a Christian, um, how God is working in different places of the world. We know what is required to be a Christian, but... <clears throat> A lot of times we make judgments about people that we really shouldn't be making judgments about, and this will help us with that. Uh, anyone else want to talk about why you're here? Carla? You can use two mics if you want. We can. That's okay. Um, for me, it's a couple, well, it's twofold, I guess, primarily. Um, part of it is these are my spiritual roots. Um, People talk about where their family's from, what country, what heritage they have. Spiritually, this is our heritage. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament, back to the beginning of time. Um, And any time for me, part of it's curiosity, any time there's a gap in there, 
Um, you know, between the Old Testament and New Testament, like several hundred years pass. You know, it's not in the scriptures. I know there are books that talk about what happened during those times, but, you know, for me it's like, what happened there? I know God didn't just become quiet and drop off the face of the planet. You know, God doesn't do that. Um, but even more, after, at the end of the New Testament, we've gone 2,000 years almost. Um, and again, God doesn't just stop talking to people, stop caring about us or stop working in people's lives. He's still there. What's gotten us from that point up to now? And that's kind of where the second part of it comes in. Part of it's curiosity um, about just our spiritual history. And part of it is what's God done so far to get us to where we are now? Well, whatever the interests were that brought you here, I hope that you're going to find a great benefit to being in this class. Neil's going to talk about some of the benefits of studying church history. Yeah, and and I, I like what was said already. And before we get to some of the, the ideas of benefits that we came up with, I want to hear from you. Um, what do you think, how do you think this course will benefit you? Or how do you think it will benefit any Christian who studies church history? I'm sorry, I'm, I'll be quick. Um, I recently got a job at Campbell working with international students um, from all over the place. And... I'm basically their middleman between them and the university, and I'm hoping to use this as a ministry opportunity, and I I definitely see myself benefiting from this, um, refining what I already know, and um, being confident in, like she was saying, my spiritual roots, and being able to talk to these international students that are coming in having no idea about this religion, about this culture, um, and I'm, I'm actually really excited about that. Mm-hmm. just thought about it. So. I, th- I think there's always a danger to think that and believe that your times is, are the worst times that the church has ever experienced. <clears throat> and I think these kind of classes kind of just bring it home that things have been far worse in the past. And, you know, when you have the Black Plague coming through in the 12th, 13th century, killing a third of the population, <clears throat> which would mean 100 million deaths in the United States, that was pretty bad, right? So I think it's a good reminder <clears throat> that, you know, even though the 24-hour news cycle would, you know, make you depressed if you watch it too much because of the bad things that are going on, it's been a lot worse in the past. Yeah. A reminder to count your blessings. Um, what piqued my interest when you were talking about the class was the apologetics aspect mm-hmm. of it, and I think... For me, that's one of the things that's important. People, a lot of people that you, or that I would talk to, you know, the, the same questions come up. You know, the Bible is just a bunch of stories written by a bunch of people, myths just added together, just like all the other world religions. And I think it's important that you know we. I've studied that a little bit, but I think to to build up on that foundation and really understand you know where the Bible came from and be able to explain that. That's important to me. I think that's one of the big topics we're going to hit on, especially when with Sean, we're going to bring out uh, canon. How did the Bible that we have today come together, and is it trustworthy as God's Word? And you know, themes along those lines are definitely going to come into play. Um, well, we just came up with really just a handful. You could come up with hundreds, if I'm sure, if you wanted to. Uh, if you look here, these are our ten reasons. Uh, that we discussed how why we should study church history. And some of them overlap. They're very similar. So I'm going to take a couple of these, uh, two at a time actually, and just hit briefly on that before turning it back over to Brad. And we've already heard mentioned before that it is our heritage, it is your heritage. Uh, that is despite what we might think about, oh, you know, 100 years, that was the Catholic Church, that's not my church. Or those things don't pertain to me anymore. Whatever skeletons may be in the closet, they helped form your spiritual life, your, um, your heritage, your Christian heritage. And it does tend to humble us and look more outward rather than inward. And when we look outward, we can understand people better, we can relate to people better, um, we can serve people better. And it equips... Um, to understand and battle error, and that's also discernment. So part of what we're going to study is not just the chronology of things, but actually how these things were hammered out. 
And in that process, we're going to better understand how we can hammer out the issues that are facing us today because many of the issues, many of the issues that the church faces today have already been dealt with centuries before. And if we understand how they dealt with it, then we are better equipped for us dealing with it. And it prepares us to make better history. Uh, Oftentimes when we think of history, that is worlds away, thousands of miles, years and years. But it also includes us because we're part of the body of Christ. We're part of making church history. So if we can equip ourselves with uh, better decision-making skills, better understanding biblically, um, I I think it'll equip us to be better Christians and impact the world around us. Um, And and those final points there that it is relevant, I I think you're starting to see that it's not just textbook dates and names, but rather living history. And that's what makes it relevant. That's why it matters, because it's not just our history, but you can see the last point, it's God's story. We're going to see what He is doing. And now uh, Brad is going to share with you um, a few themes that you will notice throughout our our class. Well, these themes will repeat often. Uh, the more we learn, the more we're going to recognize that we are, as Bernard of Chartres said, I don't know when he said it, John of Salisbury in the 12th century is the one who credited Bernard for saying, we are dwarfs standing on the shoulders of giants. Perhaps you've heard that phrase before, and that's the theme of our class, on the shoulders of giants. Um, <clears throat> all the people that we're going to encounter in this class are really just like us. Uh, they were trying to understand Scripture. And without the benefit of the centuries that we have had of thought that has gone before us, and they were trying to reconcile verses like John uh, 10, 31, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one with John six thirty eight. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Now those are... We say, oh yeah, of course, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. They didn't have that doctrine in those first few centuries, and they were trying to hammer it out. In fact, even some people that we are going to identify as heretics or those who are not orthodox in their belief were probably not on the way to hell heretics. They just were trying to figure out who Jesus was, and they got it a little mixed up. Um, Though this class is a church history class, it's going to seem, at least I hope it will seem like to you, a theology class. Our interest is in the development of theology, and and that's going to mean we're going to see how theological positions were formed, uh, refuted, affirmed, embraced, and passed down through the generations. In fact, even though you're going to hear and read about a lot of dates There's only going to be one date that you're required to remember, and that's not really until next semester, which won't be until next fall. We're going to do 12 weeks now, and then we'll do 12 weeks next fall. Um, And that date is October 31st, 1517. What happened on that day? Martin Luther nailed his theses to the church door at Wittenberg, and the Reformation was begun. It's Reformation Day. So... When everyone else is celebrating Halloween, we're Mm -hmm. celebrating Reformation Day. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to find that most important theology was affirmed, if not worked out, at councils where theologians met, the bishops met. Now, we get suspicious of the word bishop. Mm -hmm. In the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about how church formed, ecclesiology formed in those first few years, uh, first few hundred years, and it's much different than what we understand as being biblical, so why was it different? Um, I think that's going to be one of the surprising things that you're going to discover is that the influence that culture often has on theology. And listen, most of the time when people hear that for the first time, they say, wait a minute, that's not right. Culture shouldn't dictate how we think we should be the ones influencing culture. Well, we're going to see the church doing that. But God, it was no mistake, God made no mistake by putting the church right in the middle of the stream, going the opposite direction of most of the fish. And while it's our desire to influence culture, there's no doubt that some of it 
bleeds over onto us. And God understood that. So as we understand the influence of culture on theology, we can better prepare ourselves not to allow it to unduly influence us. And also how we might impact the culture around us with the gospel. All along the way, we're going to discover that God used people just like you and me, which means he used flawed people. Um, we want to think about, especially those first few centuries, as, as those guys being superheroes, but they weren't. I mean, they might be having a big argument with someone, be struggling with sin, and the next day be called to be martyred and stand and be martyred. Look at the New Testament letters, my goodness. All the stuff that we deal with has already been dealt with all those years ago. They were just like us, but God used them mightily. One last theme uh, that I want to mention is the importance of recognizing that while we have, I've already talked about this, while we have a lot of differences with um, those in different denominations, our brothers and sisters in different denominations, uh, there is so much more about which we agree than we disagree with our brothers and sisters. Uh, Last week at VBS, Kelly Wallace put me onto a wonderful book, uh, Christopher Catherwood, uh, called Church History at a Glance for the Curious. And uh, it'll be on our resource list for books that you want. And it's a very it's a very small book, a quick description of church history, and it really doesn't deal with it like a lot of church history books would. But Catherwood happens to be the grandson of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. You, I'm sure you've heard that Name, great Baptist preacher from years gone by. I believe he was Baptist, Reformed Baptist. Am I correct in that or not? Not sure about that. He's Reformed, very Reformed. Regardless, whether he's Baptist or not, like Spurgeon, we don't know. But, or I don't know, I should say. Um, Catherine Wood says, you know, in Britain, we don't have the same luxury that, 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 that our brothers and sisters across the pond have. He's married to a, an American lady. He said, we often interact across denominational lines because nobody's got a denomination large enough where people can support each other. And it's a great benefit, he said, to be Calvinist in my doctrine of of grace and yet Baptist in the doctrines of baptism and be in an Anglican church that believes both. So even Episcopal churches that immerse people once they're saved. uh, It's very different, as someone's already mentioned, um, that... Christian Christendom is very different in, in other parts of the world, even today. And it certainly has been through history. Well, um, any questions or thoughts about the class so far? Anything you want to... All right, well, you did not resist the temptation to look at the syllabus, most of you. So let's look at it a little more carefully. Neil, start us off on that. All right, does everybody get a copy of the syllabus? All right, I feel like you're back in school, right? <laughs> All right, um, I'll let you look over the summary and themes. Uh, that, that's there for you to look at at your own leisure. Uh, the requirements are what I want to hit on first. <clears throat> Again, there's only two, basically. And the first one is the book, uh, The Story of Christianity by Justo Gonzalez. If you have not already gotten this, I'd encourage you to do so soon. Uh, as the reading, uh, the first few chapters are actually assigned to you now. <laughs> uh, if you don't have it yet, if you are, are going to have trouble finding it or buying it or I- any issues, uh, you can see Brad afterward. I believe he's got a few on order that may be in by Sunday. Um, but depending on your level of interest in the class, no matter what your level of interest is, please get your hands on this book as we will, in our video sessions, we'll be referring back to the content in it in order to um, facilitate our theological discussions. And the second one is access to the Internet. It can be, you know, laptop, uh, computer at home, iPad, whatever. We're trying to make it as easy, accessible as possible. Um, You can see the link up there to the Google Groups. What I would like to do is actually have the city be the launching pad for um, our interaction inside this group. All right, that's going to be hard to see. 
But what I want to show you is there is a link that as you were coming into the building this evening, I posted that link on the city. So if you have not already joined the church history class group in the city, uh, you need to do that. And David has let, let us know that out in the foyer that they have two computers uh, available that you can do that tonight before you leave. You can accept that invitation. You have that invitation waiting on you right now. Um, once you join that group, uh, there's a link posted to this group. If you don't want to click the link, all you got to do is hop online and search for the Google group Grace CCNC. That's the same as our website. So just search for the Google group Grace CCNC. And uh, I believe the, the membership is, is easy. I think we're accepting all, uh, all requests. So um, if you don't already have a Google account, you don't need a Gmail account. You just need to use a, an email account to link to Google. And then, you know, sign in, fill in whatever personal information it requires you to. And then you're able to receive uh, updates from the group. You're able to post answers and questions and all the discussions that we're going to have. So if you have any questions, I'm going to make myself available. David has made himself available. If you have any technology questions, well, we can answer those afterward. Or if you want to call or email us throughout the week, we'll, we'll help you out there as well. For the format, uh, this is the first part of our, uh, this is the first of four in-person sessions that we're going to have. And again, each session we're going to try and limit to one hour. That is both the in-person sessions as well as the video sessions. Um, when we get to the schedule, Brad's going to point out something on your schedule, but for now we're just looking at the, the format, so just keep that in the, the back of your mind for now. And then the, the rest of our sessions, which will begin in two weeks, two weeks from now, uh, week number two, session number two, will be posted online on that group, on the Google group. Um, from then on, it's going to be every week, there's going to be a new video posted with discussion questions, you know, homework, recommended uh, resources for you to, to check out. And then uh, throughout those weeks, we have three more in-person sessions that will meet right here. Um, online, you will find discussion questions. These are questions that, that we pose to you, not only to answer, but to get, get the discussion started. If you have questions that were not asked, Feel free to post those as well. Um, I don't think you're necessarily looking for answers from, from us, but you may be you know, tossing a fishing line out there wanting to, wanting to get feedback from others. Uh, quizzes. And we're going to talk about the two different tracks in just a moment, but quizzes is something we'll... Actually, we're going to come back to that. Uh, and then I'm going to have a lot of supplemental recommendations for you to check out. If you're an auditory listener... You like to, to listen to MP3s or something, there, there's going to be podcasts and things that you can link to, download, and listen to on the drive into work. If you're a reader, there's going to be blogs, books recommended. So you're definitely going to want to check that out on the resources under the class information, but also week to week, we may have some individual weekly recommended resources. And then, again, we have one week from class to class, so do try... As a, as a real class to get those reading assignments or whatever it happens to be done within that, that allotted week. And then moving over to the two different tracks, Brad's going to fill you in there. I just wanted to say, look at, if you look at the two learning tracks, level one and level two, you'll see the word invited a lot on level one and required a lot on level two. Um, obviously, as is always the case, the more you put into this, the more you'll, you'll get out. I want to encourage you to seriously consider putting yourself in level two or subjecting yourself, maybe I should say, uh, to level two. If you were in a college class, uh, you would not be given two options. Well, you could. They, some classes will say, all right, if you want to see, do this. If you want to be... Pass Go for the A. Go for... The A. Just about the only thing you're required to do if you're in level one is to read, or we have no way of checking up on that, but read it and um, read the book, uh, the, the textbook, and also watch the videos. Uh, most of these sessions are going to be the in 
person sessions are going to be a lot more interactive than this one is. This is just sort of information for the class. Uh, but level two will uh, put you in a place of knowing more than you can possibly imagine that you would have known by the end of this semester. By Christmas, you will know a great deal more, not only about history, but about Scripture, about the ways that we interact with Scripture, the ways that God interacts with us through Scripture. So I will encourage you to go uh, to, to, to level two. Uh, Professor Manning, tell us about the quizzes and projects. Before we look at the quiz and project requirements, I'd like you to read that, the, the first two lines there next to it. And it's just echoing what Brad has already said, that the more you put into it is the more that you'll get out of it. Um, so if you are slightly interested now and you put in a little bit more effort, I think the benefits will start rolling in and your, your interest will grow and the benefit to you will grow as well. So that's why we encourage as many of you as who can to do the level two and um, even though that requires a project. Uh, and the project is, is pretty simple really. You can either do a short little presentation on a paper or a presentation in person, just like we're doing here this evening. Um, and we're, we're toying with the idea also for those who don't like to work alone, you can work in small groups of maybe two or three. So if anybody's interested in working in a group project, we might could uh, facilitate that. You can talk to us afterward. And, and quizzes. Um, it, it's not intensive. You're not going to have to remember. Like you said, there's only one date. Um, so th these are more thinking questions, um, quizzes that will, will have you recall points of theological development or what were the events that shaped uh, this era of history. So I don't think anything's going to be too taxing. So please try and carve out time in order to to get the most out of it. Well, it's not surprising that we're uh, right on schedule if we stop now. So I'm just going to say on this uh, on this uh, schedule, um, you'll notice week five is our next in house session. We're moving that to Thursday night instead of Wednesday night, and let me tell you why. Uh, in week four, Adam English, who's a professor of religion at Campbell, is going to be participating with us. Adam is, is particularly well-versed in the fourth century. He actually has written a book on St. Nicholas, who was at the Council of Nicaea, and David and Adam have uh, actually read a book on Gregory of Nazianzus. Is that correct? One of the three Cappadocians, as you all know. Um, so David is going to contribute a great deal uh, when we talk about the fourth century as well. But Adam is uh, quite an interesting guy, and we want him to be with us. He's doing an interim pastorate in Dunn. So Adam will be able to be with us on Thursday the 26th, but couldn't be there the night before. And so we want to make him available just to answer our questions and You'll, you'll find interest. A lot of things there. I, I, I wonder if you, if you, just as you look down this list, I mean, do you, are you familiar with these names and these events? Probably not too much unless you have had some kind of theological training. Again, just imagine what you're going to know. And it's going to be interesting. I promise you it will be interesting. Wake up! I promise you <laughs> it'll be interesting. Well, let's uh, take a... Just a, a brief break to swap, swap out uh, tapes. We have limits on those. And while we're doing if you need a quick restroom break or, or water, we're not going to stop. But if you need to, to run, this is a good time. Uh, any, who do you know? Who do you know in this list? Or what do you know about? Anybody have a particular interest on anything in this list? This takes us right up to the dawn of the Reformation. We'll start with the Reformation next year. David Webb, I know you're widely read. What do you know about anything here? Any Anything, anybody that you're interested in? Right, the printing press. He invented the printing press, which, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, and all of the list, all of the list at the turn of the century when they ask historians and sociologists what 
was the most important advancement, invention of the previous millennium. From 1,000 to 2,000. Overwhelmingly, the printing press. You know what is now also considered one of the top four or five inventions of all time? Is the internet. So we are living in radically important times. So Gutenberg, yes, printing press. And it, and it, was, it, it allowed the Reformation to take root because Luther printed a lot of his thoughts in Bibles in the German language for the masses. And it began the Reformation. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gutenberg Gore. I mean, it's a G thing, you know. <laughs> the G men. <laughs> That's week 13, Jim said. Any others in here? Yep. Mm. Yeah, that, that is a neat area, a neat era um, that <clears throat> it's been said before, if, if it weren't for the, the Celtic church, um, you know, the, the Western church may not have survived. So hopefully that whets your appetite. Uh, I think also going back to, to Craig over there, the um, apologetic issues, the Crusades come up in a lot of people's minds. Well, well didn't the Christians kill everybody? Uh, so we're going to explore, you know, what were the reasons behind that? Was it good, bad, somewhere in the middle? Rise of Islam. Yes. But we're doing it for the movie. There are several people who have signed up for the class who couldn't be here tonight. And so we're filming all of these sessions so that you can keep right on going if, if you missed. Are we ready to go, David? No, not ready to go. All right, anything else? What, why did Jesus die for us? Why did, Je- why did Jesus die? <laughs> We're discussing that. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't come to consensus yet. <laughs> why did Jesus die? Pay the penalty of our sins. That, nobody really talked about that mm. that much in, for the first thousand years. Yeah. And a guy named Anselm of Canterbury on, on your sheet is the one who helped us understand that a lot better. Bert, you were going to... I was going to say that I'm interested in the monastic impulse, you know, because I... Well, at least points in my life I've had similar impulses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> How many think Bert should be a monk, Ranger? <laughs> many of you think Bert is a monk? <laughs> it just shows up. <laughs> now that's funny. He's not getting to say what he wants to, but Kelly's wondering if these impulses came before or after marriage. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bert. That'll teach you to not add to the task questions. Go ahead. Well, that's just always been of interest to how that, I mean, I, I think I know a little bit about it. Because it does, it seems to me, at the same time, answering Christ's call, but also yeah. not, you know, going against Christ's yeah. call. That, that sort of, I want to isolate myself. I have a similar interest because there is a dichotomy. Uh, we want to be separate from the world and pure, but we also want to be out in the world. So how, what made them come up with that notion to go out in the desert and, and what became of it? I mean, are there, does it live on? In society today, and it's then how that relates to the Reformation, especially with Martin Luther. He was a monk, right? Notice how soon uh, monasticism comes after Constantine legalized Christianity and it became the imperial religion. Uh, when, when all of a sudden everybody loves Christianity. Now some people see it being diluted horribly, and they say, let's take to the hills and, and recapture yeah. the truth. Are, are, are we, we ready, on, David? Are we rolling? Yes. Okay, we're rolling. 
All right, well, let's uh, talk about um, what church history is. For this course, the words church and Christian are going to be used in the broadest sense. Uh, when we talk about the church, we may be referring to the early church, the Roman Catholic church, the Orthodox church, uh, Protestant <clears throat> church. And the same will be true with Christian. Uh, we'll refer to anyone who professes to be a Christian as Christian. So, for instance, there are a lot of churches in America that don't preach the gospel. These people would consider themselves Christian. We're not making a judgment about that. We understand, we believe the truth of the gospel. It's not that we're saying, oh, well, we're not, who's to judge? It's just that we're, when we use the term Christian for the purpose of this class, it's going to be used in a very broad way. We're talking about Christendom. All who would call themselves Christians who come under that umbrella. Um, so what is church history? Well, first Let's think about what it's not. It's, it, it's not an exhaustive look at all that has happened. It's an, we're talking about this class being an overview of an overview of church history. And we're far from scholarly historians. So there are going to be some places where you know a great deal more than we would know. Not more than Professor Manning, but you will know more than I know or Sean or David. I'll just tell you particular to Google era. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's... it's it's not a list of Christians and heretics, although we're going to talk about Christians and, and heretics. It, it, it's not boring history and meaningless dates. It's life. It's eternal life being worked out through the ages. We're going to use uh, Dr. Gordon Isaac's definition of church history. I don't know if he's still a professor at Gordon-Conwell. He has been. You don't have to write this down. It's going to be online and one of the resources. <clears throat> His definition is this. It's the spiritual side of the history of civilized peoples ever since our master's coming. It's the story of the Christian community and its relationship to the rest of the world through the ages. So it's how our faith found expression, how it was formed in the first place and how it found Expression. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith and scripture are inextricably linked, just like the Holy Spirit and scripture are inextricably linked. And so when we talk about our faith being formed, we're talking about how we began to understand the word. And then how our understanding of scripture found expression in the world and how we interacted with the world. Um, any good history, any good story for that matter, has to have a foundation. And in fact, if you think history is boring, it's probably because you never stayed with the book long enough to get past the boring part. But you have to have foundation. Now, having said that, I'm going to pass it to Neil, who's going to tell you some really boring information. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, Neil is going to do exactly what Carla said interest her a while ago. He's going to lay the foundation from that, uh, that in that Old Testament silence up to the coming of Christ and how the world was prepared for Jesus. So, Neil? Yeah, I just want to second something that Brad said, that we're not professional historians. We're not, well, I'm not a professional teacher. I don't get paid to do this. So, um, like, like we've already noted tonight, some of you have a wealth of knowledge that could easily be up here. So that that's why it's... A discussion amongst us all. Um, <clears throat> I wonder if, if some of you can finish this verse, this commission, with me, when when Jesus gave to the disciples. But you will receive power in the Holy Spirit, and you shall be my witnesses. From where? Starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to where? The uttermost ends of the earth. Right, and that's that's kind of what. Church history is, isn't it? It's the development, uh, or it's the spread of the gospel. And we see that with Dr. Luke following Paul, how it began in Jerusalem and has since continued to spread and move westward and almost continues to do that. It's the spread of the gospel. 
one other verse that I want to share with you as we look at the foundations of, of church history, how we got to where the New Testament church began. Again, comes in Acts chapter 17. Paul is uh, addressing Gentiles, and he says, And he, that's God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they, may, that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. So that may be God's perspective on history as a total, that God as a sovereign God sets the boundaries of nations when they rise and when they fall, of life and death for each individual, that He has placed you here now for His purpose. And what is that purpose? But that we can search out and find Him. Of course, we can't find Him unless He first finds us. So, in order to keep in, in the allotted time, we've got 10 minutes to cover 700 years of biblical and church history. Are you ready? I'm going to need your help. All right. Who's familiar with this word? We've got a few people. Okay. Um, it's diaspora or diaspora, depending on which emphasis you put on the word. And uh, who can tell me what it means? The spreading, scattered, dispersion, yeah. And this, this involves the, the people of the Jewish nation primarily. It can be referred to, to the Christians too, but when we talk about the, the diaspora, we're typically talking about the Jewish nation. And um, for that, we need to go all the way back to the, the Jewish prophets. Um, these are some, just a few of the, the major prophets I don't mean to leave out the minor ones. They're not minor because they are less important. They're just minor because their books are shorter. But these just happen to be a few of the prophets um, who came to Israel, the nation of Judah, and uh, prophesied, turn to God or else. And then they, they predicted through the Holy Spirit what God was going to do. So what did Isaiah tell Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, was going to happen? He said that the Assyrians, because Israel is the northern kingdom at this point, uh, this is the 8th century before Christ, that Israel was so wicked that God is sending the Assyrians to wipe them out. And what happened? That's exactly what happened. The Assyrians came and wiped out the, the northern, Israel, uh, northern kingdom. What did he say to the southern kingdom? He says, guys, you've got to watch out. You've got to turn back to God because the exact same thing is coming at you if you don't. So what do we see? He, he also predicted that the Babylonians would come and take away everything, all the wealth of the kingdom and the temple. So what happened? We turn the page over to Jeremiah, and he's saying the same thing. Okay, guys, Babylon is knocking on the door. Are you going to turn to God, or are you going to stay stubborn in your, in your sin and rebellion? Um, and at that point, uh, God tells Jeremiah to spread the word, the Babylon, go to the Babylonians. They are my servant. They are my judgment of a wicked nation. You, Judah. Um, so, at that point, um, Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem how many times? Twice, actually. 597 and again in 586 is the, the big number we think about when the destruction of the temple. And at that point, Ezekiel is already in Babylon uh, prophesying to the, the exiles. And uh, Daniel has been carried away as a young man, and he begins his ministry um, through the Spirit. And um, with the Babylonians, they were the first of four kingdoms, if you remember Daniel's visions, of four beasts, right? And those four beasts represented four kingdoms that were going to come to rule the world, first being Babylon, and the second was, was what? It was sort of a lopsided bear, right? And does anybody remember what that bear represented? Exactly. The Medo-Persian Empire where who? It was, it was the Persians who had the dominant partnership with the Medes in, in that conglomerate. And uh, in another vision for Daniel, that, uh, that same kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, was the, uh, the goat or the ram with two horns. One was a giant lopsided horn 
compared to the median small horn. So what was that third kingdom? Greece. And in that second vision to, to Daniel, Greece was signified by a, a ram. I believe that was a goat, I'm sorry. And uh, the, ram, the goat had one giant horn right between his head, right between his eyes. Does anybody know what the horns represent? It's kings, right? And this ram was swift and powerful. Can anyone tell me of a king of Greece who was swift and powerful? Alexander the Great, right? Son of Philip of Macedon. He was the preeminent ruler of Greece, conquered the world, I think by the time he was 30. Died shortly after. He died a young man, died a, a ruler of the world. And that horn, we're told in, in Daniel, split into four horns. And what uh, Alexander did was leave his empire, split it into four, and gave a section to one each of four of his generals. And out of those four generals, uh, of course, this is going to take several generations. Two of those um, sub-empires became dominant. And does anybody remember from any world history classes what those two nations or the wars between them are called? Well, this is the Seleucid and Ptolemaic Wars, or Seleucia in the north. It's called the north, but it actually started more in the east and spread to the north. Whenever the Bible talks about the kingdoms coming from the north, you've got to remember where Jerusalem is. Every kingdom that invaded Jerusalem had to come from the north because of what? The Jordan River, right? They can't go over the Jordan River very well as an, as an entire army, so they always come in um, over the Sea of Galilee. And then the, the kingdom to the south was, was the Ptolemies. So um, Daniel actually prophesies again, the prophecy is given to him about a particular ruler of the Seleucids, and his name was Antiochus, and he was a bad dude. He came in to, to fight his opponent in Egypt, the uh, Ptolemies in the south. And what land does he have to cross in order to get there? Judea, Jerusalem. Uh, sometimes he was successful, sometimes he, he was not. When he was not, he wanted to go home with some spoils. So where did he stop on his way back home? Jerusalem. Antiochus gave himself the name Epiphanes. Does anybody know what Epiphany means? It's not when you get a great idea. God manifest. So Antiochus IV named himself God in the flesh. You can start to see his head was a little bit big, wasn't it? Uh, because of his deranged notions, the people had a play on words. They gave him the name Antiochus Epimenes. Epimenes meaning, meaning the mad one. Okay? He thought he was God in the flesh. Everyone else thought he was insane. So what he did... One day he was upset, he was in Jerusalem, desecrated, defiled, destroyed the temple. Um, and this is about two centuries before Christ, so this is smack dab in the middle of the intertestamental silent years from Malachi to the Gospels. 165 is a very important date. Can you tell me why? Right. That was the year the, the temple was destroyed and there was a revolt, a revolution in fact, started by one family. What was the name of that family? Maccabees. The Maccabees. So if you've heard of the Maccabean Revolution, that's it. That was prophesied to Daniel in the 6th century that the temple would be defiled and that someone would come and cleanse it and the people of God would, um, would clean up the mess basically. So we have the Maccabean Revolt. And then what that led into, um, put in motion, was the infighting of factions within Judaism, within the nation uh, that remained. you think after revolt they would be strong, but there were still factions. And because of those factions, they wanted to rid themselves of Greece permanently. So maybe they thought they were doing the biblical thing by not going to their immediate neighbor, but they went to a nation across the sea. And who was that nation? Rome. Rome came in as allies of, of Judah and cleaned up Greece out of Palestine. Unfortunately, they, because of the, the factions of Judaism, 
Rome had to put governors in place in order to govern the Jews. They were no longer allies, but the Jews were subjugated by an occupying force. And that's why Rome, in addition to the governor, actually put in place, who was the first one? Herod, Herod the Great, who was, what's his title? King of the Jews, right? Does that title sound familiar? perhaps to uh, the Christmas story or the sign above Jesus' head at His crucifixion. So you can see how all these things are playing into the formation of the world of Jesus. This is the world that Jesus was born into. This is the setting of the Gospels. What are we going to look at? The spread of the Grecian culture. Rome, if you remember the, the beast uh, in Daniel's vision... He was unlike the others, this sort of conglomerated. He took, Rome took pieces from every nation that it conquered. It didn't have its own culture per se. It absorbed Grecian culture. It absorbed all the highlights of empires previous to it. Um, what's, what are a couple of major things that Alexander put into play that affected this Greco-Roman culture. First one is language. Right? Have you ever heard of Koine Greek? That is the common language of the entire Mediterranean at this period. It is the language that traders use to talk, that military posts can, can transfer information. So language was a huge part in, in the spread of the gospel. What else? Uh, Roman they didn't have a lot of culture to themselves, but they were great at a few things. Can some of them name one of those few things are? Roads. They were good at military. They were good at engineering. They built roads. All roads lead to Rome, right? And aqueducts. Yeah. Um, the road system and the language are two integral pieces that would play huge parts in the spread of the gospel. So when we come to Galatians 4.4 4, and we read that in the fullness of time, in the perfect timing, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, that we may receive adoption. It's not at a whim that God said, okay, things are getting out of control, I need to send my Messiah. No, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, we can go all the way back to, to Abraham, to Moses, the Davidic covenant. The covenant after David voiced through the prophets. And the prophets told of what would happen. And then the Messiah would come. And that's what happened. The Messiah came. So where does that leave us? The apostolic church. Uh, we're not going to cover this a whole lot in class, so we're going to go briefly over this, maybe in the next two minutes. Just the spread of the gospel. And, and we did a, a series not long ago called Acts 29. I like that because... Acts ends abruptly, doesn't it? It doesn't really have a conclusion. But the conclusion is what we're still living. We're in the next chapter of, of God's story. So we see the apostles at Pentecost receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and then from there they spread. They spread to the Samaritans. They spread to uh, Gentiles. And Paul makes it all the way to Rome. And from there, church history picks up that we are players in that history. And we're going to go back, starting in two weeks, we're going to check out those first few years after the apostles. I don't want to take too much time now to look at what church tradition says happened to each apostle, but you can um, look up online for that. Uh, much of it is, um, you know, a lot of that tradition, a lot of mythology has, has snuck in, but there is some divine historical context or text that we can turn to for a couple of them, right? Dr. Luke was an inspired writer of Scripture, and he was the first, first church historian And that he recorded the deaths of uh, James, uh, of Stephen, one of the, uh, the seven who were called, and Judas, of course, and then were left wondering about Paul in house arrest in Rome, um, what happened to Peter, Church tradition tells us he was crucified in Rome, possibly upside down. John, who lived well into the, the later parts of the first century. And we're going to talk about 
Polycarp and some of those people who actually interacted with the Apostle John, and they we still have extant copies of their letters, not with John, but their letters to other churches. So I think that's really going to play an interesting part in the development of the early church. And with that, I'm going to pause. Are there any questions on the foundation of how we got to the New Testament church? The destruction, the destruction of Solomon's temple was 586 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar. The defilement, now after, exile, after 70 years exile, Judah came back under Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and rebuilt what's called um, uh, Ezra's temple. And this was a much smaller version of the temple because the people who had lived to see Solomon's temple destroyed and who now 70 years later came back to see this temple, instead of rejoicing, what did they do? They weeped and cried out. Um, so that was the destruction of, of the first temple. The defilement of the, the second temple, Ezra's temple, took place in 165 B.C. by um, Antiochus Epiphanes. Sacrificed. sacrificed a pig on the altar, and it infuriated the Jews, Orthodox Jews. What about the 70 AD? AD 70 was the destruction of the temple uh, by Rome. That was a complete and utter destruction of the second temple. Because, once again, it, it, as, a, as in the first uh, destruction, they rebelled against the country that ruled over them. And it had been significantly built up by Herod. Yes, Herod's yes. temple was quite a spectacle. It was quite that, magnificent. By the, part of that was that Ezra's small temple? It was. By the, by the time Jesus is born, uh, the temple is known as Herod's temple because if you remember during Jesus' ministry, he says, in three days I'll raise this temple up. And the people are like, whoa, it's taken 46 years to build this and you're going to raise it up in three days? Herod had spent decades building up Ezra's temple. And the reason it remains the second temple and not the second and third temple was that from the defilement, or, or rather the restoration under the Maccabees, through um, the destruction of 70 A.D., sacrifices never ceased. Even while they were constructing more of the temple, they continued to sacrifice. So it was considered the same temple, even though the grounds had changed drastically. Good question. You hear a lot about uh, Second Temple Judaism, uh, how the Jews interacted with God during that period where the Second Temple was built. Uh, one more interesting word, and I may mention this on Sunday, I don't know. But we, we look at the Pharisees and we think, oh, these, are, these people are ridiculous. They've just got it all wrong. Well, remember, it's, uh, Neil was talking about Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel were warning the people, you have got to turn. You are adulterous in your relationship with God. And he's going to judge you. Turn now. And when they were taken into captivity in the Babylon, a number of the people repented. It's just like we do when we are, our sins come full circle and we have been punished. Um, we, we will repent oftentimes. And they repented and they said, we can never go back there again. We need to stay as close to the law as we possibly can. Well, of course, nobody can keep the law. And so they ended up making the law their God. Mm. And the Sabbath uh, and circumcision were the two marks of their relationship with God, but they became very nationalistic in, 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 a, in a sense. They use these as uh, identifying marks of the Jewish people. And if you want to be one of us, these are the requirements. And if you want to get to God, you have to be this. See, they have completely uh, missed God's call to Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. They said, look, you want a blessing, you come to us. Whereas God had said, you're going to be a blessing going out. But they became very insular and, and, and really did not want people to join them unless they seriously wanted to become a Jew. So um, the Pharisees just kind of evolved from Ezra. You read the book of Ezra and his desire to keep
keep the law of God and the people. It's a very good desire. But they became legalistic as, well, they were. We all tend towards legalism. Tend and trend that way. So that's where the Pharisees came from. That uh, was a group of people that wanted to keep the law of God because they didn't want to be punished again. But they were missing the whole point to the point that Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think... Because you know the scripture, you have eternal life. But they testify of me. You've missed the whole point that God is trying to make with you. So, if anyone would like to read more about um, the revolt during that uh, the second century, that is one of the resources that I've posted on the Google Groups for this week is First Maccabees. Uh, I'd recommend reading First Maccabees as good history. It, it informs us well. Second Maccabees has you know some strange things going on in there. So if anybody ever wonders where the Catholic Church came up with the first idea of purgatory, uh, that starts in Second Maccabees. But you can read First Maccabees not as scripture, but as beneficial history. Any other questions? All right. Before we go, I just wanted to remind you of not next week, but two weeks from now is uh, the first posting of Session 2 online. So you have two weeks in order to catch up on your reading or to start reading. I recommended chapters 1 through 5 in the story of Christianity. And also hop online. Again, if you have any questions about logging in or accessing what's online, talk to me or David. We'll be happy to, to help you out. Are there any questions about either tonight or the next session? One last word of encouragement before we pray is, I know there were a lot of things said tonight probably that you're like, what? But then there were other things said that were like, oh, that's interesting. Never knew that. Get what you can out of this class. And the more you're exposed to this information, this knowledge, the, the more it begins to make sense. And that may be over years, uh, but don't get overwhelmed by the amount of detail that will be shared. Uh, in this class. And I do want to say this too. It's very interesting. Neil talked about the spread of Christianity moving west. And he said it may, it's still moving west. What does he mean by that? It's circling the globe, isn't it? It's It's in Asia. And while we pray for revival, God's got a plan. And it was... the. Christianity was strong in Europe three, four hundred years ago. Not now. Dead. And we may be heading there. And in fact, you see this over and over in the Old Testament too. With Judah, there were these spasms of revival. But the trajectory was in the wrong direction until God finally punished them. So... um, it's very help. One of the things that's helpful is to have perspective on the way that God has moved, the way that He's he, he has moved the church in history, uh, so that you're not overly discouraged. And to remember this: that America, as Mike, I believe, said, is not the center of Christianity. We are, we have been amazingly blessed to have this message of the gospel come to us. And if you're sitting here tonight. You were blessed beyond imagination. That you heard the gospel in the time that you did. So, looking forward to this time. And come up and talk to us if you have some specific personal questions. And let's close in prayer. And then look for uh, the next sessions online September the 4th. 